Amen. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you, worship team. Um, man, what an incredible day to be a part of. I just want to say thank you seriously, specifically to the worship team um, for stepping in and stepping up into this moment. Uh, because clearly I am not leading worship because I'm wearing a blazer. Um, and I'm bringing the word today, and it's such an honor to do that. And so Michael and Sarah Beth and the team have stepped up huge. And, and Michael's been a part of the team for a long time, as well as, as, well as Sarah Beth and, and everyone on the stage. And so I'm so thankful to get to do this with them. And, and like I said, I am not normally wearing a blazer, and I'm not also normally preaching. I've gotten to preach a few times in the life of our church, and I'm so thankful for the opportunity for the elders to give me this moment and to trust me with the word of God. Like Cheryl said, my name is Matt Cole, and I'm the worship pastor at Auburn Community Church. I've been here for just over five and a half years, almost six years at this church, and so I've gotten to see God do a lot of stuff in our story, and my wife, Caitlin, and I actually just celebrated five years of marriage last Saturday. Yes, so excited about that. She is absolutely amazing. Um, she is most certainly the better half of this relationship. Um, I will admit that forever and ever. People do like me a little more when I'm in a blazer, but she's still way better. Um, and so I want to thank her for just always being there, always being a support on the front row. And so I also want to say this year has been huge for us because we're having our first child in a few months. Yes, yes. That's the first time like I've said it from stage and it feels really really weird. We are having a baby boy in a few months, and we are so excited. Yes, the, the power five, like the starting five here is getting strong on staff, and so we're trying to put together a starting five, hopefully to run the AAU League through this state and through the Southeast soon enough. But I'm so excited to be here. Again, this is, this is not my normal place, but this is home, and so we believe that when the Word of God is preached and spoken, that it will move, no matter how or who is preaching it, that as long as the word, the unadulterated word of God is being preached, that it will not return void, and it will accomplish everything it's been sent out to do. And so I am very, very honored to be here. We've been in this series called Trust the Story, and in week one, Miles encouraged us. He said, delight, find delight and true joy in walking this story out with Jesus, he's invited you into enjoyment and fulfillment in the midst of this story. And then last week, Miles talked about that in view of God's mercy, that we're invited to either, two, two things, to either be embraced by God's love or embraced by his wrath. And that the invitation isn't just to come and be a part of the story and stay for however long you want, do whatever you want. No, the, the invitation is to either believe or reject, to be embraced by love or embraced by wrath. And the good news is as believers in Jesus Christ, we are embraced by an infinite love that will never let us leave the story. And so it's incredible to see how powerful God has been moving through his word. And now we're in this third week of this series. And you're here. You're in your living room. We got people in this room. But most of you are in living rooms, in your pajamas, enjoying church. 
and I'm in a blazer, and we got people in this room. So it's a different Sunday. I think we can acknowledge this is a different week where we're emphasizing, hey, go be the church. Like, we believe that you don't have to be in this building to be the church, that you can have community in your homes, and you can open the Word of God together. And I do have to shout out, again, I've, I've mentioned the blazer a couple times, because, you know, look good, feel good. Like, it, it's, it's, it's Chris Boer. He's one of our elders, and he's like, man, I bought this for you. I mean, he just shows up at the office one day. He's like, I love seeing you in a blazer, so here you go. Bought me a blazer. I'm like, first, the, the first part of me, the Enneagram 4 of me was like, I own blazers. I, I can look good. And, and it wasn't offensive. He was like, man, I just love the blazer. Here, here you go. You look good in blue. I'd love for you to, you know, preach in this one day. Chris, this one is for you. So today is a different day. This, this is a different day. And I want to bring up a prop onto the stage. I know you're like, whoa. Miles doesn't usually use props. Well, Miles isn't here, and I'm bringing a prop on this stage, a whiteboard onto the stage. We're going to have a moment together today. I, I tried to find a chalkboard because um, I thought it'd be like really retro and cool, but I literally can't find chalkboards anywhere. Like, I don't know if they've like outlawed them in schools because of chalk dust, like, it wouldn't surprise me, like, 21st century, like, chalk dust is harmful for our children's lungs. You know, it's like, I remember in second grade, like, these massive, huge chalkboards, you know, and, and if you were good, like, you got to clean the erasers, you know, like, you'd step out the side door, and it'd be, usually be me and a buddy, and we'd get, like, a running start with those, like, foot-long erasers, you know, that teachers, like, this on the whiteboard with, and we would like run and hit them as hard as we could together and see this huge plume of smoke. Anyways, I couldn't find one of those. Um, that just took me down memory lane to Miss Martin's second grade class. All that to say, the title of this message today is called The Center of the Story. The Center of the Story. I want to turn us to Genesis chapter 3. No um, difficulty finding that this week. Um, you know, Miles was in Jude and then Zephaniah, and it was like, wow, I'm going to throw him a softball, and we're going to go to Genesis 3. And I'm not even going to do the Bible drill, um, because most everyone in this church brings a Bible, and if you don't have a Bible, we would love to send you one. Please email us. We will literally send it to your house. But for most of the people at ACC on Sundays, you see Bibles go up all over the place. And then the, the few people who, who don't bring one, they're like... It's at home. Well, joke's on you because church is at home, so everyone should have a Bible now. So Genesis 3, this is chapter 3 of the first book of the Bible. I'm going to start reading. It says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God, re hold on, the serpent is talking, first of all. That is weird. For some of you who aren't used to the Bible or church, you're like, why is a serpent talking? Is this Harry Potter? No, it is not. We don't support that, okay? It's not sold at Lifeway or written by Francine Rivers. Okay, so, so he said to the woman, again, any inquiries about theology or snakes talking, Miles Fidel, send that his way. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. 
You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. First of all, who trusts a snake? Anyways, we're, I have so many thoughts on this that have nothing to do with my sermon, but we will get to the ones that have to do with my sermon. Serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? I, I want to pause here just for one second. I, we've, we've read this in church a lot over the years. And honestly, you haven't even had to be a part of the church to, to know this story. But I love this. So everything just went wrong, right? Like we know the story. Like sin just entered the world because they chose their way, not God. And it says, God was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, even in the midst of the story going totally wrong, God's pace doesn't change. God's walking in the cool of the garden. Anyways, I thought that was amazing. So when the woman and the man and his wife, they, they sewed fig leaves, blah, 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 he answered. When God said, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put me here with. I'm telling you, I read this with a country accent. I don't know why. It was the woman you put me here with. I don't know why. Maybe you, I have fun reading my Bible. I don't know about you. That's just how I read this. This, I can see this like happening in the new Bucky's on I-20. Anyways. He said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you? Did you eat from that tree? He said, the man, the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate it. Skip down to 21. In those verses in between, the Lord gives out kind of the repercussions of their decisions. Tells the serpent he's going to be trampled underfoot. He tells the woman childbearing is going to be difficult. He says to the man, hey, your work now just got a lot harder. And he goes down in 21. He says, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So what I want to do today, since we're, we're at church at home, is I kind of want to go like teacher mode again back to the blazer. It's like, you feel like a professor when you wear a blazer. It doesn't matter the situation. I start teaching people at weddings. I'm like, did you know that the Greek root of this? And they're like, dude, 
go dance, like leave me alone. I'm like, the blazer comes on, it's teacher mode. So you're at, you're at home, we're in here, I've got a whiteboard, so let's have a little fun teaching. And I just wanna shout out to all of the teachers at Auburn Community Church right now. You are heroes, heroes, and you deal with much bigger whiteboards and much bigger problems than I do. So I wanna go through a little literary conversation, if I will, in the five elements of a story, I know. You guys are so excited. So what are the five elements of a good story? The first element is the characters, okay? I mean, some of you are literally like, uh, is this elementary school? Um, but yes, we're going back to school on this, all right? First, first thing is characters. Second element is the setting. The third element is the plot. Then the conflict some of you are like, yes, I am going to pass my test tomorrow. And then the last thing is the resolution, okay? So these are the five elements of a story. The characters, who's a part of the story? The setting, where is the story happening? The plot, this is the events surrounding the story. The conflict, what is the problem? What is the center of the story? And this is what the story is built around. And then the resolution how does the conflict or the problem get solved? And so what I want to do is I kind of want to walk through this story in light of these five elements. And I know some of you are like, this is so basic. So is the gospel. Like the gospel is simple. Jesus said, let the children come to me. And so we can get lost in high-grade theology and we can lose our way in the simple faith of coming to Jesus. And so I want to come back to the simplicity of breaking down a story that we've all read for so many years in church in light of these five elements. And so, like a magic trick, this is like one of those baking shows, you know? It's like, I just made this, but the show can't be five hours long because it's got to cook. Bada bing, bada boom. In light of this story, we can see who are our characters. All right, we want to walk through this element by element. Who are the characters? Adam, Eve, God, triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Satan in the form of a serpent. Where is the setting? Garden of Eden. The plot, we've got creation and we've got the fall of man. The conflict, the disobeying of God and sin. And the resolution of this story is they're banished, but God covers and clothes them. Now, what I want to do is I want you, I'm going to go back through this again, and I want you in this room and in your home to now apply this, think about this through it, your lens. Don't think about this through the lens of I've read this 50,000 times in my life. Think about this through the lens of how do I see myself in this particular story, Okay? Let's do this again. Characters, Adam and Eve, they represent humanity, correct? They're the first humans, okay? God, the evil one. Perfection of kindness, goodness. The perfection of deceit and the antithesis of holiness. The setting, the Garden of Eden. This is where God has, has placed Adam and Eve. This is where he's written them into the story. Plot, God has created them. 
He's given them this place to call home, to manage, to run. He has given them the keys to the kingdom quite literally, and they've found themselves in a situation able to be tempted by the serpent, the conflict. Adam and Eve choose to go their own way. Is this starting to sound familiar? Adam and Eve choose to go their own way and choose the way of sin. And what has to happen as a result is they can't be in the presence of God. But God in his kindness clothes them. Okay, so if you're not catching on to the story, this is our story. Like, like this isn't just the felt board that you grew up with. Like, this is the story of creation. You and I are in the world. God has created us. We're in the setting. He's called us to the location where our feet currently are. It's not the Garden of Eden, obviously. Some of you are like, yes, it is. I live in Auburn. It's the most beautiful village on the plains. Don't you talk about it like that? Okay, it's not the Garden of Eden. You're somewhere, somehow, God has brought you to the setting that you're currently in, right? Whether it's been your job, your family, whatever, God has you where your feet are right now. That's the setting of your story. The plot, God has created you. He's brought the events of your life around you. The good, the bad, the hurt, the pain, everything, all these events have brought you to this place. There's the conflict. You and I struggle daily with sin. And yes, it's, it's separated us from God. But there's a covering for our sin and our shame. You see, when we talk about the literary elements, even though you look at this and you're like, well, the plot's in the middle. No, really, the conflict is the center of the story. When they're writing a story, everything, every element of the story centers around the issue of the story. And according to what I read in scripture and according to what I've seen in my life, the center of your story and my story is sin, right? Like you read this and you're like, the, the problem in this story is that Adam and Eve chose to go their own way and to choose the way of sin. And so as I was reading this and I was preparing for this message, I was thinking, man, like, this is pretty simple. Like, are they going to think I tried to, like, prepare this thing at all? Or is it like, ah, Adam and Eve, like, that's easy. We know that one. No, I had a whole, I had a, a whole different message planned for this week. I'll be honest with you. It was totally different. Monday night. At 9 p.m., the whole thing got deleted because God said, no, we want to return to the simple truth of the story. And so what I realized when I was praying and I was looking at my own life was that sin was the center of the story. And I, and, and I asked God, I said, God, why is sin the center of my story? Genuinely, like, God, why, why? Like, I believe in you. You are who you say you are. But why do I keep writing sin into my story? And he kindly, graciously, lovingly spoke back and said, because apart from me, it's the only story you know how to write. It's the only story you know how to write apart from me. And so that's the question to all of us, is why is sin the sin of our story? Because it's the only, apart from Jesus, it's the only story we know how to write. 
We need Jesus because the one moment, it's like God was like, okay, kids, I'll be back. Have fun. Dad's going for a walk. He goes, and the one moment he gives them the choice, what do they do? They choose sin. And now, because of that, that's you and I's story. Like, we have the propensity to just choose sin. We're constantly battling with sin. This is the idea, theologically, what we call total depravity. That apart from the work of Jesus, the completed work of him coming to earth, living a perfect life that we could never have lived, dying on the cross that we were supposed, that was meant for us, and taking his life back up again three days later, conquering sin and death, and then ascending to the right hand of God, apart from that being the truth, you and I can do no good. That's the idea. Like, apart from Jesus, what do you think you can add to the story? What do I think I can add to the story? Jesus says this in John 8, 34. It says this, Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Romans 3, 23, we've heard this one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This one really takes the message of sin home. Isaiah 64, 6 says this, all of us have become like one who is unclean and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf and like the wind, our sin sweeps us away. That is a fraction of the scriptural references that I could bring to the table right now to display to you the truth that you and I are incapable of adding anything to the story but sin. And you're like, wow, I gave ACC two weeks of my life to prove if I wanted to be a member here. Last week was wrath, and now you're telling me I can't do anything but sin. But we'd love for you to give here because we're building a building. That's a joke. I, I, I don't have the authority to make that ask. Anyways, that's between you and the Lord. That's a joke. We can loosen up in our homes. But seriously, you're like, okay, so the last two weeks, like, very encouraging. But what we want to do is we don't just want to point to the negativity of what's, the, what's happening here. Yes, this is the reality, that unless you embrace, like Miles said last week, unless you embrace, let God embrace you with his love, and unless you realize that you are incapable of doing anything other than sin, yes, that's your story. Sin will always be the center of it. But the good news is that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So, so this is, again, kind of want to go back to the basics here. I mean, I'm talking language arts, third grade right now. Jesus did not wait for you and for me to figure it out and say, I will absolutely save them, but it can't be while they're sinners. There was no hope of that ever happening. He knew that. And so he said, no, while they are still sinners, actively disobeying what I called them to do, don't eat that fruit, nope, still did it, still covered their sin. That is the good news. I wanna read from us, from the Bible, Psalm 103. 
This will be on your screens. This is written by David pre-Jesus, but a foreshadowing, a current situation of mercy and grace. Because you want to talk about someone who tried to write their own story? Hello, David. Am I right? Parents, talk to your, parent, or your kids about that story. David, has, has, he has fought to have the pen in his hand. And he has felt the weight of his sin. And he still writes this. He says this, praise the Lord my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord my soul and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So while the news initially so far looks bleak and it looks difficult that I'm only capable of writing sin into the center of my story, there is hope. His name is Jesus and he is the one who throws our transgressions away as far as the east is from the west. This isn't like earthly linear east and west where eventually we'll, we'll run back into each other. No, this is like go up into outer space. You go east, I'll go west. We won't see each other for eternity. That is the space. It's been destroyed. God has literally taken our transgressions and he has said, they don't exist anymore. And yes, there's ramifications for our sins. And yes, we have all experienced the consequences of those sins, but the eternal consequences have been laid on Jesus and he has overcome them. The next place I want to take us to display the grace and the kindness of God is Micah. Micah, I know, now you're like, oh, there you go again, ACC. Like, Micah, really? So Micah was the prophet during King Hezekiah's reign, and you want to talk about another guy who took the pen in his hand and took the credit for what God had written in his story. So we fast forward to the end of Micah 7. I'm telling you, the Lord wrote this, y'all, because I didn't even think about this, and in light of Miles talking about the remnant, the people who are in, the people who have said, God, you will do what only you can do, and we are in for all of eternity. Listen to this. Who is God like you, who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy you will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. If you think for one second that the story stops at the fact that you and I are only able to write sin in the story, 
you're wrong. Because God has written a better story. He's written a better story. You see, our stories were never meant to be centered around our sin. Our stories were meant to be centered around our Savior. And he knew we couldn't rewrite it ourselves. Because when we have the ink in our hands, all that ink is, is sin and selfishness and pride and shame. And that's the only story we can write. But when the pen is given back into the hands of the creator of the universe, the savior of the world, the savior of our souls, his name is Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Hebrews 12, 2, when it's given back to him, him, the ink turns from sin, selfishness, and pride to grace, mercy, and kindness. And that's the story that God is writing. If you are in Christ Jesus, the center of your story now has nothing to do with the sin and the shame. And even though there's been things that have happened in your life that have been good but bad and have, have hurt you, and no matter where God has taken you, the things that have happened there, and even if the people in the story have hurt you or been a huge part of leading you to Jesus, And even if the consequences have hurt and there's been pain and turmoil, the center of your story isn't the sin that you carry. The center of your story is Jesus. So even though the different elements of your story so far have led to you going, God, I can only write sin, he is now saying the sin is gone and the center of your story is Jesus. This is the simple gospel. This is the story that we were meant to live and to be a part of, that no matter what has happened, that no matter what you have chosen to do, to walk away as hard and as fast as you could, the story that was written does not overtake the story that is unwritten. And Jesus can be and wants to be the center of that story. And as I was thinking about this and and praying and meditating on this, because I don't want to say anything that I haven't either lived or thought through and prayed through for a really long time and let God speak to the depths of who I am, I, I, I thought, God, I literally cry out to you every moment of every day and go, God, please use me. Please do what only you can do. And that's not because I'm a pastor on staff at a church. I think believers everywhere, no matter what role you play in the body, should be asking that question of God. God, will you please use me? Will you please do what only you can do through me? And if we can be honest, I really, I really hate when we play games in church and we're not honest with ourselves and with the people around us because it's a waste of time. It's a waste of time. We're writing a fake story if we do that. We're playing a game. And if we can just be honest for two seconds, we pray those prayers, right? God, please use me. Use me now. I want to be used by you. Let your glory be made known through me. And then we continue to struggle left and right with the sin that so easily entangles us. 
And it's so frustrating. Can we just be honest? Can we have a family conversation? Like, that is frustrating. I mean, seriously. When is that ever gonna end? And there is a day and there is a time coming when Jesus will return when that struggle ends. But until then, again, we've talked about this so many times here. It's the already but the not yet. Like we have already been saved and made perfect in light of eternity, but Jesus hasn't come back yet, and so we're being made more like him in our linear timeline. You know, because God doesn't work just in this linear timeline. And so if God said it originally, it's done. But you and I can't even comprehend his timeline. And so we see this still working out in and through our lives. And so as I was thinking about that and I was just praying, I was on my knees like, God, okay, so how does this happen? Y'all, blazers are hot, like sweaty. Um, I'll never do this again. Um, I was thinking about this and and I was taking it to the Lord and, and two things came to mind. I was like, how do I even do this? Like literally, this isn't like two things came to mind. I'm about to tell you those two things because I perfectly crafted these three sentences. You know, that's not something I'm saying. Like, God really impressed this upon my heart for my own life. Like, I've been tempted to look back at my life and be like, what a waste up until now. Like, it's just now that I'm seeing that I want to make your name and your fame and your renown the complete desire of my heart and nothing else. But no. How do I make this happen? How do I stop writing sin into the center of my story? Two things. I think I look back to see the blessings, and I think I look forward to see the blind spots. I think, I think that's two ways. And I don't want to say this with like the confidence of like, you need to leave and do this. I'm saying I really think that the Lord is asking me and you to do this. That in, instead of continuing to write sin as the center of our story and see Jesus as the center of our story, that we need to look back to see the blessings of what's already been written. Because so often we look back on our story and we say, what a waste. You know how you remember, you and I remember things very differently than sometimes than they actually occurred? Like seriously, remembering, remembering things as a child, I'll ask my sister or my mom, I'll be like, hey, so didn't so-and-so do this and this and this, you know, back in like 93? And they're like, no. I'm like, yo, I was there. Like, I remember this. They're like, you were two. You don't. And even things when I was 7, 10, 15, 20, I still remember differently. And in light of the story that we read earlier of Adam and Eve, what we often forget is that the sin of Adam and Eve overshadows the blessing and the grace of God. God literally covered the result of their sin. Their nakedness was the result. Their shame was the result of their sin. And what does God do in his grace and his kindness? He covers them. He makes them intentional clothing. Isaiah 61.10 says this, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. The sin of our past so often overshadows the blessings in the presence of God that was there at the exact same time. We look back and we share our testimonies and we share our story. What do we go to? Like the first thing we share, well, you know, I was addicted to this and I struggled with this and I messed up here and I messed up there. 
We don't go to the fact that, no, God was here, and he, I remember him there, and he showed up there when I didn't think any hope was possible. And I did that in my own life this week as I was preparing this message. I was like, man, there were, there were times in my life where there was hurt and God was the healing. But for some reason, I only share about the hurt. And there was times where there was chaos and I didn't know when things were going to calm down. And God was the, the calm in the storm. But for some reason, I only tell people about the storm. You know, like I only remember my story in light of the sins and the struggles. But God was there. And so I don't want to get lost in the fact that, okay, here and now I'm still struggling. And yes, there's a lot of sin in my past. But I look back and see the blessing of the presence and the faithfulness of God. And that helps me to change my, my mind and my posture, even to my story that's already been written. And I start to give praise and glory to God in a new way that I never had before. Because I see, God, you've been a part of the story forever. And even though I was holding the pen, you were still present. So I think the first way that we stop writing sin as the center of our story is we look back and see the blessings. I think the second thing is we look forward to see the blind spots. We look forward to see the blind spots. Some of you are like, what, what do you mean? Are we driving a car? Is this another metaphor? Um, no. So I, I went through a curriculum called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality and Emotionally Healthy Relationships probably 10 years ago at this point. And we actually do that here at ACC, by the way, Emotionally Healthy Relationships. Actually, Michael Fagan, who, lead, who is leading today, actually is head of that here. And if you want any information, any information about that, please contact us and we'll get you in touch with him. But when I went through this curriculum and I went through these studies, one of, the, one of the things that they challenge you to do is you walk through your story and you walk through, and which leads you to walk through a lot of your sin struggles of the past. But the point is not to leave you there, right? Like the point is to move on into health, correct? Like God, we've said this from the stage so many times, Jesus loves us right where we are, but he loves us so much that he's not gonna leave us there. And so in Emotionally Healthy Relationships, you kind of take stock of your story, what's, what's led you to the kind of personality you have right now, the friend you have right now. How can you adjust this to the healthiest version of who God has called you to be? And one of the things that I had to walk through with the community I was with at the time was the blind spots that I had. And what I mean by blind, spot, blind spots are the areas of my, my heart, my attitude, and my emotions that I was unaware of that were sinful. And, and the thing about blind spots is that when you're driving a car, right, there are literally areas of your car that you can't see. That's why there's 20 mirrors, it feels like, in your car. Some of you need to use them more in Auburn. Please, amen. Um, but in my life, there were areas that I couldn't see from my vantage point. And I remember times where where people would kind of be standoffish or wouldn't be as warm towards me. And I'm like, gosh, I mean, I know I'm not wearing a blazer, but dang, like, I think what's happening right now? And people came to me and they said, Matt, I think you're missing something. To which I said, what? <laughs> 
because it's a blind spot. You can't see it. And I started to realize that I was easily frustrated. I started to realize that my tone with people wasn't always fantastic. I started to realize that actually I was really good at emotionally manipulating situations. Oh, that's deep. That's Enneagram stuff. Can't believe I just said that. Um, but I realized that there were things that I was, I was missing because I just couldn't see them. And what it took was me looking at the people in my life going, hey, I don't want to keep writing the same story. So will you help me see the places in my heart that I can't see? And this is a difficult road to walk because you have to be willing to hear hard things from people. And I do not recommend doing this with people that you don't know. Like I recommend you looking at the people around you, taking stock of who is for me, who is following Jesus, who genuinely has the best in mind for me and wants to see God do incredible things in my life. Who can I lean on? Who can I trust? And some of you are actually sitting next to those people right now in your living room. And I wanna encourage you, maybe, maybe it's time to finally ask the question, hey, am I missing something? Like, I, I seem to keep writing the same story. Is there something I'm not seeing? Proverbs 28, 13 says, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. I'm not saying that, that the blind spots are things that that you're necessarily concealing, but I am saying that there's a level to which confession breaks through in your story. And that the sin that we maybe knowingly conceal, that we haven't confessed, leads to sin that we can't see. And it turns into the blind spots that we keep hitting over and over. But Jesus, in his kindness and in his grace, has, has, first of all, given you the word of God to help you see these blind spots. And he has given you the people of God surrounding you to see exactly where you're missing and exactly where he wants to enter into the story. These blind spots are opportunities for you and I to see God move and work in ways that we could have never thought or imagined. You see, when we look back at the blessings, I think what that does in us is it leads to praise, it leads to worship. Because all of a sudden, you're not looking at yourself and your sin, right? You're looking at where God was in the story. And then when you look forward to the blind spots, to see them, to avoid them, to learn from your mistakes, and to move forward in them, that leads to faith. Because then all of a sudden, like, it's not up to you. Not, we're not saying try harder, find them and fix them. That's not what we're saying. We're saying find them and give them to Jesus. And so you've got praise and you've got faith. And I think the result of praising God and having faith in God is the only thing that results is trust. A very e equation, logic-minded praise plus faith equals trust. And so if the story was written in the past by you, you can hand it over to God now 
in praise and in faith and say, God, I trust you with what's to come. I'm not gonna keep writing the same story. That's the hope of today. You don't have to. Like you literally don't have to. God has been a part of your story since the beginning. The days of your life were numbered and written by him. And so if you are listening to this right now, you were meant to hear that no matter what was written before, the story is fresh right now because his mercies are new even in this moment. And so we trust him, we, we find his blessing and we, we say, God, you do what only you can do in our lives. Show me the things I can't even see and do what only you can do. Look, the, the story changes. Like the characters in your story change. Who's a part of it? The setting changes. You move, the plot changes. Things happen, events change. We talked about the already, but the not yet. Like there is still sin and there is conflict, but it doesn't have to be the center because Jesus at the end of the day is the resolution of this story. His kindness and his grace and his mercy are available to you right now. And to the believers hearing this, you're sitting at home with people next to you. Like this doesn't need to be one of those moments that you, you listen to the song after the message and you click off and you go through the rest of your day. Like it's not an accident that, that there's some practical steps to this of confessing some concealed sins, of looking to the people next to you and going, I haven't told anyone this but I'm tired of writing the same story. I need to move on, I wanna move on. Hey, some of you, maybe it's not a concealed sin, but it's going, hey, am I missing something? Like, is there something about me that I can't see that like isn't Christ-like? What's it like being on the other side of me? Those are the difficult questions to ask, but God uses those. The potter, he uses those to mold us and to make us into the image of his son. And so as I end this message, I want to encourage you. Some of you are like, no, please don't make me talk about this. Please. I want to encourage you. We're going we're gonna to sing a song. We're going to invite the band to come up here. We're going to sing a song about surrender. We're surrendering our stories. We're surrendering the center of the story that for so many of us has been anything but Jesus. And we're saying, God, somehow, some way, help me see where you've been and help me see where we're going together. Move in me like only you can. Jesus is the alpha and the omega, the beginning, the middle, and the end. And the invitation is real, and it's right now. Your story is not over. Right here, right now, with the people that you're literally with, God is taking the pin back in love, kindness, and grace. And he's saying, let me give it a try and let's see how it turns out. And I guarantee you that the end of the story ends up being you whole and healed.
in his presence. And that's available to you right now in this moment. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you are in control. The story's been yours since the beginning. But we've taken it into our own hands. And we've seen the result is just writing a story of sin and shame. But praise be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord that that is not all it has to be. Jesus, we thank you that you did what only you can do. And that was overcome sin, overcome shame, and delete death from the story forever. And so our hearts are filled with hope. And this is not the end of the story. Today is not the end of the story. We have breath in our lungs. And so we step forward in confidence, believing that you're going to do amazing things, not for our story, but for yours and for the glory and the fame of Jesus. So Holy Spirit, we surrender to you. We say thank you for where you've been in our story so far and thank you for where you're taking us. And let our lives be ever and only for you. We give you control. We surrender our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray.